All right, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We're finishing up the book of Galatians today. And uh, as we do, I want us to think about what we've learned, where we've been uh, in this book. If you were to ask, if someone were to ask you, what is the book of Galatians about? What would you say? I would simply encourage you to say it's about the gospel. Simply that. In fact, you find that from the very first pages of the book. In Galatians chapter 1 and in verse 3, Paul says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. That's the gospel right there. Who gave himself for our sins. He was given. The gospel is a free gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we can merit. It's not something that we can be good enough to gain God's favor. God gives it away to us. And he gave himself. Jesus is the one who sacrificed for us. He died on a cross so that he could pay for your sins and for mine. And that's what he goes on to say. It's for or in the place of us. It's in the place of our sins. He took our place. He died for us. And the only reason he could die for us is because he was without sin. So he didn't have to die for himself. I have to die for myself. I have sins in my own life. I can't die for anyone else. But Jesus, because he was fully God and fully man, and because he was sinless, he's able to fulfill all righteousness, and he was able to take my place. He was able to take your place and then give salvation away freely. And it's amazing to me how many people I talk to, people that have been in church for a long time, people that are outside of church, and I say, how does a person go to heaven and they... and a lot of times you'll hear, well, if you're good enough, if you work hard, if you serve God, if you go to church, I mean, you'll hear all these different answers. And those are all the wrong answers. There's only one answer, and that's faith in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus. In fact, I asked my dad that question because I was wondering if he had accepted Christ after I came to Christ. Obviously, I was concerned about my family, and I went back and, and, and talked to, uh, when I was talking to my dad, and I, and I asked him the question, if you were to die tonight, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you tell him? And he said, my faith in Christ, if that's not enough, then I don't have anything. And I thought, I said, dad, that's the right answer. That's, that's right. That's what scripture tells us. And, and he understood. And, and I asked him, when did, did you ever make that decision? He goes, yes, I did. When I was in college, in my first year in college, I walked the aisle in a church. And I prayed to receive Christ. And I was just like, wow. And I, he understood. He gets it. He got it. And I know now where he's at. I know that he's with the Lord. And one day I will see him again. And there's great joy in that. Who gave himself for our sins. A simple statement. But so, so powerful in our lives. It gives us hope. It causes us not only to to have hope in eternity. But notice what he says in verse 4 of chapter 1. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. There's a present reality that he wants to impact. And that's why he goes through the book and talks about the difference between grace and law. And he says, you guys are struggling with going back to law. I want to tell you, it's not that great. Law is not that great. Grace is incredible. 
Because he says in verse 6, I'm so astonished you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. There is no gospel. There's no good news. That's what the word gospel means. There's no good news in it if it's law. Because if you receive Christ at the same time, and it's a package deal, you get the Spirit of God also. And we know that from chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? The answer is by believing. It wasn't by the law. I didn't earn the Spirit. I didn't gain the Spirit because I was a good boy, because I did all the good things, because I followed every righteous, uh, every uh, aspect of righteousness. And in verse 5, he says, does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? It's by faith, grace. And so you think, well, what's the purpose of the law then? Why did he give the law? And in fact, that's the questions that he asked in, in chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, what then was the purpose of the law? was added because of transgressions until the seed, Jesus, to whom the promise referred to come. And so in 21, he says, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? He says, absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have certainly come by the law. In other words, righteousness could not come by the law. The very thing that we sang about, dressing his righteousness alone, that wouldn't happen according to the law, according to our merit, according to our deeds. He says in verse 22, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised being given through, not the law, but faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before the, this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified, which means declared not guilty. It means forgiven by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. The law was insufficient. It could not bring righteousness. Grace can because it depends on Jesus. The other depends on us. And I can't bring righteousness to myself, but Jesus can. And just like he took my sins and died for my sins, he can impute or give righteousness to me. And that's why I would be able to be dressed in his righteousness. When does that happen? It's when we become his children. He says that in chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, because you are sons, and he's talking about this idea of uh, uh, sonship that he talks about in verse 26. You are all sons. He means children. You're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So when I believe in Jesus, I become his child. When I become his child, in verse 6, it says, because you are his children or his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And so when do I become, uh, have the spirit of God? At the moment that I receive Jesus, it's a package deal. They come together. I get Jesus, I get the spirit of God. Enable to rescue me from this present evil age. And so then you, that's why in chapter 5, he begins to talk about the Spirit of God. Here's how to live by the Spirit. We talked about that last time. Verse 16 of chapter 5 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature if you live by the Spirit. And what we typically think is, I need to work hard. I need to follow the rules. I need to work harder. In Colossians chapter 2, 
He's talking to them about this very thing. And he says in verse 20, he says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principle of the world, why as though you still belong to it do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You want victory over sin? It doesn't come through that means. It comes by the Spirit of God. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And we talked about what that means. How do I live by the Spirit? Last week, we talked about Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, where he talks about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I receive the Spirit. That's the baptism of the Spirit. I receive the Spirit at the moment I become his child. When I receive Christ, I receive the Spirit of God. But I can have the Spirit of God in me and do nothing with it. In fact, that's what happens to a lot of believers. They don't realize you have the Spirit of God in you, and yet you're trying to live your life with no power, and you're wondering the Christian life doesn't seem to be working. It works when we live by the Spirit, not when we live by Greg, not when we live by your own strength. Then you're only going to accomplish what you can accomplish. When we live by the Spirit, we accomplish what God can accomplish and wants to accomplish in our lives. And what does that mean? It means simply to submit to the control of. The verse in Matthew five, or Ephesians 5.18 says, it says, um, do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to disorderly conduct. It uses the word debauchery, but that's what it means, disorderly conduct. So when, I, when a person is drunk, they live under the influence of the alcohol. And then it says, do not be drunk with wine. It's making this comparison, but be filled with the Spirit. So I come under the Spirit's control. And that means that I submit to the Spirit, that I live under His influence. And when I live in that direction, then I'm living by the Spirit. I'm doing what Paul's saying here. I'm living by the Spirit, or even uh, uh, some translations say walk by the Spirit. And so I'm filled with the Spirit in this moment. And the next moment, I have a choice. Do I, am I filled with the Spirit or am I not? And then the next moment, I have a choice. And when I keep taking those steps to be filled with the Spirit, I'm walking in the Spirit. And so I'm living in the Spirit, moment by moment. And there can be moments where I I miss out because I'm not living by the Spirit of God. And I think a whole lot of believers, you may be included in that, a whole lot of believers live their lives as if the Spirit isn't even there. I was uh, watching a video of, um, of the Super Bowl and had this one little video of uh, Odell Beckham. Do you know who Odell Beckham is? He's a wide receiver for the New York Giants. Very good wide receiver in terms of when he wants to play. Uh, he uh, <laughs> has a little bit of attitude, but he, uh, uh, he made one incredible catch, which I wish it hadn't been against the Cowboys, but he makes this catch where he catches it with one arm as it's going over the goal line, and it's, it's an incredible-looking catch. It's very athletic. I mean, you're like, this guy's incredible and makes the touchdown against us, and, and, he's, and that, you'll see that play probably for, you know till, till we die. Uh, it'll be continued to play on ESPN or SportsCenter or whatever. 
So here's this guy, Odell Beckham, well-known among New York Giants fans and anybody that loves football, a lot of them know who Odell Beckham is, especially if you play fantasy football. He was probably on your team if you could get him. And, and uh, he decided that in the Super Bowl, he was going to be a crossing guard. And so he puts on the vest and he puts on this hat so nobody can see his, you know, his blonde-colored hair. And, uh, the, and he puts this mask on up about this high. And so he's the dancing crossing guard. And he's doing, you know, some of this kind of stuff. And, you know, I can't move like he moves. I uh, just can't. And, uh, <laughs> and he, you know, he's very athletic. Very, I mean, and so he's doing that. And all these people are walking by doing this number. You know, watching him. So a few of them are kind of you know, going with them. Nobody has a clue who he is. You can tell they're walking by. Nobody knows. This dancing crossing guard is Odell Beckham until one guy finally recognizes who he is. You're Odell Beckham, he says out loud. I want a picture. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking over. Oh, who is this guy? And, and so all of a sudden, you know, the gig is up. He can't do anymore what he's been doing because everybody knows it's Odell Beckham. And I'm sure it just rippled through the crowd. And people were taking pictures, and you see him, and he finally walks off, right? We have the Spirit of God residing within us, almost like the dancing crossing guard, that we don't have a clue as to who he is, and we're just kind of going about our lives, ignorant of the fact that we have the Spirit of God in us, how different we would live if we knew, I have the Spirit of God in me the spirit of the living God. And if I live by the spirit, if I am, as he goes on to say, led by the spirit, if I keep in step with the spirit, it should transform my life in a way that is beyond what I could pull off, what any person could pull off. You can't be discipled enough without the spirit of God, but you have the spirit of God and it's transformative. It helps us with those struggles that we have in life, those sinful nature, the desires of the sinful nature, it helps us not to gratify those. And we go, wow. That's why when he starts in chapter 6, he's talking about how do we live then? How, sh- how shall we then live if we understand this living by the Spirit? Well, we're going to have love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. And what that causes us to do, we keep in step with the Spirit. And as we're in step with the Spirit, we begin to minister to those around us. We begin to love on those around us. He goes on and says in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. I want to stop there. If someone is caught in sin, the, uh, the picture is, is being overtaken by sin, that someone is running as fast as they can go, and sin is chasing them and overtaking them and overwhelming them, and they fall into sin. And what typically happens among believers and even unbelievers is we look at that person and go, how pitiful it is that person's living like that. And we become judges instead of gentle restorers. And we weren't called to be judges. We were called to be gently restoring those who fall into sin. That's a whole different picture. And it says, you who are spiritual. Notice it doesn't say, you who are the pastors of the group. You who are the leaders. You who are the deacons. You who are the elders. It doesn't say that. It says, you who are spiritual. Who is that? And most of us would say, well, that's not me. 
right? You would think that to yourself. You might say, oh, well, maybe I could be that person. But most of us say, I, I don't know if I'm spiritual enough because we have this measure of spirituality. What did he just get through saying? If you live by the Spirit. He has a whole section there about living by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. So who is this person? It's everyone who allows the Spirit to impact their life. Everyone who submits to the Spirit of God, it's you. Every believer should be living this way. Every believer should have the Spirit of God living in them. You think, well, there's a lot I don't know. He doesn't say you who know a lot. He doesn't say you who are mature. He he says you who are spiritual. A person can be a one-day-old believer and be spiritual. And a 50-year-old believer who is supposed to be mature could be unspiritual at that moment. And so it means you who are spiritual, we say, Lord, I need your help in this. Why is it the one who is spiritual? Because we need God's help. We need God working. We want divine work in the person's life. I can't change anybody's life. You can't change anybody's life. I remember when I first came to Christ, uh, I was uh, 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 supposed to lead a Bible study, and I was like, I don't know very much. I've only been a believer for a few weeks. I said, well, you know the gospel, right? Yeah. Well, teach that. And just be ready to say, when somebody asks you a question you don't know, say, I don't know, but I'll find out. And so that's what I'd say. And then I'd go back, oh, I told them that. Now what do I do? And they begin to show me how to study my Bible. And I just started eating the scriptures up because I wanted, I wanted to have an answer for that person. And I'd come back with an answer. And then they'd ask me another question. I'll be right back with you. And I'd study and learn and study. And I was hungry for the scriptures. I was hungry to be able to help somebody else. And the Spirit of God was working in my heart. You who are spiritual, it means that we make a commitment to others. That's what walking in the Spirit does, is I make a commitment to minister to other people because that's what, after all, we're supposed to do. Jesus, uh, uh, or Paul tells us here, he says uh, in uh, 5.14, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what he goes on to say, carry each other's burdens, verse 2 of chapter 6, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What was that law? Love your neighbor as yourself, to love, to care about someone else. When I do that, I stop thinking about myself, which means I become more humble. If I'm judging that person, I'm thinking of myself, and I'm thinking how much better I am than that person, and I have a right to judge. But whenever I begin to think of their needs, I forget about myself. And that's what humility is. It's not thinking of myself, it's thinking of those around me. And that's why he goes on to say, if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Why would he even say that? Because when we help someone else, the tendency is to think more highly of ourselves. It says, each one of you should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. So that's exactly what he's talking about. For each one should carry his own load. So he says, interestingly, carry each other's burdens, but then he says each one should carry his own load. Which one is it? The word that he uses for burdens in verse 2, carry one another's burdens, means over uh, or heavy crushing loads. The word that he uses in uh, verse 5, each one should carry his own load, is the pack that a soldier would wear when he's marching. Well, that's manageable. The heavy crushing loads, not manageable by themselves. It means that we come alongside those who are being crushed, who are being overwhelmed by sin, overwhelmed by life, and need help. Well, how do we do that gently? We come up to someone 
that we know is struggling saying, how are you doing? We know how they're doing. They know they're not doing well. And they begin to tell us, and you listen. You shut up and you listen. And you listen to them and you ask questions for, for further help. And then, and then you do one other thing. You don't have to give them answers. They're not looking for answers. They're looking for someone to care. And, and so you take them to the source. You pray with them. You say, can I pray with you? What can I, what can I pray for you? You don't say, can I pray for you? What can I pray for you? And so they tell you and then you say, can I pray with you right now? About these things and sometimes I've had people say no but most of the time people say yes and then you take them to the one who could solve their problems that can deal with the issues that are crushing them you take them to the source and you're restoring them gently you're bringing them along then he says an interesting thing he says anyone who receives instruction in the word, must share all good things with his instructor. And you think, oh, Paul, isn't that kind of self-serving? Why are you saying this? Because a person who's walking in the Spirit makes an investment in their spiritual life. That's what I think he's saying. Because he goes on to say, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, verse 7. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to his, please his sinful nature from the sinful nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit and will reap eternal life. And so he's saying, you're gonna, you need to sow to those things. You need to sow to the Spirit. In fact, when you look at the list of, of the Spirit in verses 16 to 26 of the last chapter, he says, live by the Spirit, verse 16. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Experience the fruit of the Spirit. He says in verse 26, keep in step with the Spirit. And then here he says, sow to please the Spirit. And so we sow spiritually. We sow in our spiritual lives. We, we invest in our spiritual lives. We invest in so many other things. We invest in college. We invest in our careers. We invest in training. Are you investing in the Spirit? Are you sowing to the Spirit of God? That's what Paul wants us to do. Because he goes on to say, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there, more sowing will reap a harvest. Therefore, as we have opportunity, it doesn't mean you do everything. It means you do some things. As the opportunities arise, as, as the Spirit of God brings you into situations where the opportunity arises and your heart's pricked and you think, I need to get involved in this one. It says, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so he says, first of all, to the family of believers, that you get involved with, with them, that, that you have people in, in your midst, in your church family that have need. Come alongside, pray with them, be there for them. He says, but don't stop there. It's to all people. All people on the planet, it doesn't mean if they agree with you, it doesn't mean if they, they hold the same views as you hold, it doesn't mean that even if they're a believer, it's amazing how many times you can go up to someone who may not even be a believer who said that you ask, can I pray with you? And they say, yes. And they hear your prayers and your concern and your love for them. And they realize God really cares because you care. And you demonstrate the love of Christ to a world that's watching. And they see something different in you. Something that, that, is, that is real. Something that's authentic. And it's not just this religious person who's walking around following a bunch of rules. It's this person who's connected to the God of the universe and, and wants them to know Christ like you do. 
And when you begin to live your life that way, you're going to begin to see the hand of God in ways that you never saw before. Because you'll see lives changed. You'll see people's hearts transformed in ways that you could never pull off. And don't ever think when that begins to happen, it was because of you. It was the Spirit of God. And you got a chance to participate with our God. And it's, and it's why he tells us, he wants us to live that way. Because at the very beginning, he says, it's to rescue us from the present evil age. According to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning. And we thank you that you've given us Jesus. And not only Jesus, you've given us the spirit of, of, the, of, your, uh, of the living God. You've, you've given us your spirit. At the moment that we receive Christ, at the moment we become your children, we get the spirit of God. Lord, I pray that we would not ignore him like the dancing crossing guard. I pray that we would realize who he is and begin to allow him, submit to him so that he will fill us. I pray that we would live not just saying Jesus is Lord, but live submitting to his lordship in our lives. I pray that it would cause us to care about other people. It would cause us to invest spiritually. It would cause us to have spiritual conversations. Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts through your spirit and we would respond. Father, I pray for those who may not know you this morning that they would sense your tugging at their heart, your gentle tugging as you, as you draw them to yourselves. I pray that they would respond and say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. And I receive the free gift of salvation that you offer. I pray that they would take that step, simple step, and yet it changes everything. The Spirit of God comes in. And transformation begins to happen. Lord, I pray for our church family that we would be those who reach out around us and care for those who are in need around us. And I pray that we would, you would use the likes of us to, I know that some here may not be comfortable praying out loud, but Lord, you ask us to get involved in people's lives. And if it involves that, I pray that we would do that. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would transform us, the person we talk to, and the world around us. Use us to make a difference to your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.